Traveling the Vortex. We've joined Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart as he defends the world from carnivorous plants. And arrive at episode 297. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Trying to stave off these carnivorous plants. <laughs> it's hard to do. They're resilient. <laughs> I don't know. They can carry a tune, though. <laughs> Feed me Seymour. Oh. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never even thought of Little Shop of Horrors the whole time I read that. I, really? I kept thinking Night of Trivets. Yeah, Day of the Trivets. Well, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> I was like, Day of the Trivets. This is Day of the Trivets. This is Seeds of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Well, the grandfathers are cool and all, but I don't think they're in the same league as the crinoid. They seem a little more powerful than the and, re- and resilient and then the crinoid, but he's just mad Scorby didn't show up. <laughs> Dude, I, <laughs> you'd have got phone calls. Andy, did, Andy, Andy, got a phone call. Did you know Scorby was in this? <laughs> Do you guys have a good week? Yeah, I'm bad. I've been sick since Thursday, but... Did you guys do anything fun? I went and saw Labyrinth yesterday with the kids for the 30th anniversary screening. Yay! Yay. It's pretty good. We went to Kansas City to see Planet of the Apes on the big screen. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Did you, you make it? Yeah, event. we went. And? Got my t-shirts. It was awesome. It was really cool seeing it. You're not wearing screen. your t-shirt tonight. I wore it last bit. night, and then you canceled. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So I'll wear it next week. Okay. For those that don't know, it's a T-shirt that says it has the Statue of Liberty on it. It says "Make America Ape Again." <laughs> <laughs> it was a good, good crowd. A lot of fun. We went and watched um, the BFG, which is over at the. Uh, That's not an old movie. El Cheapo Theater. Oh, yeah. I guess I should go with old movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You went to the theater. It's been out several weeks. So we'll count it. <laughs> it's old to me. <laughs> Highly recommended. I, I kind of was in that, oh, I don't know, this kind of looks like a Spielberg Disney thing. It is a Spielberg Disney oh, thing. Oh, it is a Spielberg. But it, it, it's, it's, it's a both good, of those things. It's a good Spielberg Disney thing as opposed to like a giant... Cash grab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you uh, read the book? I have not read the book. I realized I have not read any Roald Dahl. Oh, that's a shame. You should yeah. read me. I saw you had those two here. Funk, 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 funk on the Goodreads. <laughs> My Goodreads stream was all Sean wanting to read Roald Dahl uh, stuff. So. Uh, we watched The Nice Guys tonight. With, How, uh, is that good? It's it's good. It's uh, another good one. It's got um, Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling in it, playing a pair of pretty much loser private detectives in the 70s. It's a Shane Black film. But it's a Shane Black film. You have to appreciate Shane Black films. Uh, I watched Raiders, the making of the greatest fan film ever, which is a documentary about the kids that made a shot-for-shot remake of Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah, yeah. We watched huh. uh, Jungle Book. On, oh, what'd you on, think? So it was good. I, I quite enjoyed it. Just really, really good. Uh, we watched Waiting for Guffman. <laughs> and I really enjoyed that one. I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as Best in Show, but I really liked it. I don't know. Maybe because you're a dog, dog yeah, owner. I'm, I'm dog more of a dog, I, yeah. And I did theater, but my theater experience wasn't like that. So maybe if I had done more actual communities theater instead of high school theater, it would have been different. It was dead on. <laughs> <laughs> I did a lot of community theater. It, it was dead on. And then we also watched this really weird film called Youth. 
Uh, it's got Michael Caine and Harvey Keitel. And, yeah. Odd pairing. <laughs> Just about them, we were like, all right, we'll give it a shot. The trailer looked good. Uh, Michael Caine plays this old retired maestro, and Harvey Keitel is this director, and they're at this resort. It's a really weird film. I don't know if I'd recommend it. Mel and I finished uh, Next Gen Season 1. We're into Season 2 now. Thoroughly enjoying that. I've, for the first time, watched uh, The Cage. Uh, okay. <laughs> I've got a confession, but go ahead and finish, Keith. <laughs> I'd never seen the the original pilot episode of Star Trek. Really? Yeah, I watched it. What'd you think? I liked it. It's different. What's your a, confession? I have a confession to make, and this is kind of sad, because I'm not as big of a Star Trek geek as Sean is, but I consider myself a Star Trek geek. <laughs> you didn't do anything, did you? I was go- No, no, I, I was going to watch... Um, I was going to watch Star Trek um, First Contact because that's one of my favorite films. And I absolutely love that movie, and I love Zephyrin Cochran, and I think that that's one of the best things about it. But I was getting ready to watch it, and I thought, you know, I should go back and watch an original episode of Star Trek since it's the 50th anniversary, and then I'll watch Nemesis later. And so I start up Netflix and I had started a rewatch of the original series because I've seen the entire original series but I started a rewatch several years ago and I stalled out before in the middle, uh, Into Darkness before came out, right? Into Darkness came out and I uh, stalled out in the middle of season two and so I thought well that's where I'll pick up luckily Netflix you know shows me where I left off and so I started and I can't remember the name of the episode but it's the guy stranded on the pl- on the pl- on the planet and the metamorphosis campaign- was Zephyr metamorphosis Cochran. I could. I did not remember that that was Zephyr Cochran. I knew that Zephyr Cochran was this guy who invented warp drive even before Contact came out. I completely appreciated the fact that they introduced Zephyr Cochran in that movie. And I watched this and had I had I had seen I'd even seen Metamorphosis before. No connection to the fact that that was Zephyr Cochran. And I went, how weird is this that I was going to watch Star Trek First Contact? I pick up where I left off, and it's an episode that has Zephyrin Cochran. And I went, how weird is it? But I, I have, now you watched them out of order. I have to admit. <laughs> no, I did watch him. Well, we were wobbly because, yeah, yeah, he is older, but he's made, he has been made younger. And Watch that movie, or watch that episode years, years and years and years ago, probably with my dad when he was watching them. Knew the story, knew the plot, knew everything about it, <laughs> except for the fact that the guy was Zephyrin Cochran. And I went, because Kirk keeps saying, he looks familiar. I, I, I feel like I should. And then I was like, I wonder who this guy is. And then they'd say who he is, and I went, "What? <laughs> How did I not know this? I even know of Zephyrin Cochran within the Star Trek universe, and I didn't realize that it was the same. That was him in that episode. So I was, I, I felt, I really felt like a guilty Star Trek fan. I thought, why didn't I know this? But then I felt kind of vindicated that I somehow serendipitously. Pick up this episode to start watching, and it's the same character that I was going to watch in the movie later. And I was like, "This is crazy." So anyway, wow, life finds a way. It yeah. does. It was bizarre. I watched Westworld also. Oh, was that out? Did that no, the original film. Oh, you watched the original. I'd never seen the original the film. Oh, oh. The, uh, in, in anticipation of the HBO series. Yeah, the series yeah. looks really good. Uh, yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> trying to think if there was anything else it feels like we went to denver yeah that's, that's <laughs> i feel like there's a lot more news going on than what uh well, it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun um we my sister just recently moved there back in july and was getting a little stir crazy because she doesn't have a job yet so we thought oh we'll take a long weekend because ricardo had 
Monday off. Sarah had Monday off, so I was, I, I was able to get Monday and Friday off. So we drove down Friday, uh, just kind of hung out, went to Garden of the Gods on Sunday. and Which, co- just as a note, is actually in Colorado Springs, not Denver. Yes, yeah. It was about an hour drive south. Is so. it an hour? Full hour? Mm-hmm. Well, it took longer that than that because we had some traffic. Huh. But we also went to Mile High Comics, the uh, Epics, or the, the big the big store, the one in the warehouse. Yep. That's a weird kind of store, but I liked it. That's about it. Let's well, move on to news. There was some big news this week. The Power of the Daleks is coming out. Yay. Animated for the 50th anniversary. 50th anniversary of Power of the Daleks. Oh, yes. <laughs> If you are so lucky enough to live in the UK, you can watch it the 50 years to the minutes it originally aired on BBC, which is really cool. Uh, and then each night consecutively, they're going to release a new episode, and then I believe it will be streaming online in the UK also, and the UK is getting a DVD copy. Um, BBC America will air it all on November 12th, and, then, and then it will stream online on the BBC America website. Now, you will be able to download it from the uh, digital copies in the U.S. from the BBC store, from what I understand. I, yeah, I believe yeah. that's right. So you will be able to get a copy, just maybe not on DVD. Still no, no, no word yet on a North American DVD release, Correct. but baby steps. Let's get it out there first. And, yeah. And I understand if you live in Nigeria, you can wait another 46 years, and then it will be found on a shelf in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> At your local TV station. What did you guys think of the trailer that they put together? It looked great. I'm glad I finally got to see said trailer. <laughs> was it well, the same was, one? No, that wasn't. That, was it different? No, the, the trailer that was at, that leaked online was completely different. Oh, was it? Yeah, there was a lot lot more to it. There was actually about two minutes worth of a clip. The trailer they released online, at least the one I saw, was only about yeah, 45 it was, seconds. It was more of a teaser yeah, than anything seconds, else because yeah. it wasn't even 30 seconds worth of footage. Yeah. They had the words and the... So, yeah, no, the, 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 the two-minute clip that was released online was a lot of clips from the... Power of the Daleks. The interesting thing about that is somebody had pointed out the reason they thought maybe it, it wasn't true, although it turned out to be true. One of the things they alluded to was that all of the clips that were animated in that, that release that leaked were uh, shots that already that they had video of. So it almost looked like it, they had rotoscoped it. And so mm-hmm. that was one of the things that leaned towards the whole theory that maybe it wasn't really happening. But <laughs> it is. proved us wrong. So I'd be interested Not to us wrong, that- but proved the naysayers wrong. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how it works, too, because from the trailer, it almost looks like what the other people were pointing out to disprove it, of the fact that it was it's 16.9 and some of the shots don't match. I wonder if it's going to be the same same thing. Because the trailer makes it look like the video is 16.9 instead of 4.3. It, it will be 16.9. I'm sure they'll do it that way. They have the option, too, when you animate something. Yeah, that's true. Might as well, There's no reason to keep it in 4.3. Might as well frame it that to. way. So that's some huge news. Look forward to that coming up pretty soon in about a month or so i'm excited it seems like so far away now though no i was trying to look up the specific well it's november in the u.s isn't it mid-october in the uk i thought it was november i thought it was november oh. still too oh yeah I november 5th you're right yeah. i think it's just about a week off. oh yeah fifth of november that should be easy to remember <laughs> <laughs> remember remember the november now we will because of power of the <laughs> Who needs Guy Fox? Exactly. <laughs> uh, other news. Big Finish have announced further adventures for Captain Jack Harkness, returning to the Doctor Who line proper. It's, this is not a Torchwood line. It's called The Lives of Captain Jack. It's going to star John Barrowman, Russell Tavoy, who was Alonzo, 
That's uh, I know that name. Camille Cordry. Did I say that right? Cord- Cordry. 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 Uh-huh. Among other actors whose name... And Katie Manning. So there's going to be four stories seeing Jack in different times and on different planets doing battle with a variety of strange and horrible enemies from Mother Nothing to the Council of Three. So the, the episodes are entitled The Year After I Died, Wednesdays for, Bege- is Wednesdays for Beginners, One Enchanted Evening, and Month 25. Coming June 2017. So they're expanding their new Who range. And not only that, more... Captain Jack News, Big Finish announced an exciting addition to their Torchwood line, a huge 10th anniversary, or a celebration of the show's 10th anniversary. Uh, The Torchwood Archive, which is going to reunite some of the original show's stars in a brand new story from writer James Goss. And then there's also going to be, uh, I believe there's going, it's a two-disc set, including bonus features. So you can look forward to that if you're a Torchwood fan with the Big Finish line. Which it's it's pretty cool that they're doing it this way because so far all the big finish stuff, it's maybe one or two actors. It's not everybody together in one story. So this is going to be a first just for the big finish Torchwood line too. I'm uh, I'm reserving judgment on the Captain Jack stuff, <coughs> with uh, reservations and hope hopeful reservations that it'll be more in line with the Doctor Who Captain Jack. Um, the problem is I can't get too excited about it because, you know, I've always been kind of meh on Torchwood. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, I think that's kind of tainting my excitement for it. So, hopefully, mm-hmm. we'll we'll see. It'll be, it'll be different, Captain Jack. It'll be good, Captain Jack. I would hope that at least the stuff with Jackie Tyler is going to be uh, yeah. Doctor Who, Captain Jack. I guess we'll find out when it comes out. When are those going to get on the schedule, Sean? Soon. <laughs> By those, do you mean the Captain Jack stuff, or you mean the, the Torchwood, Torchwood stuff? stuff? Or either. I'm not champion at the bit for the Torchwood stuff, so someday I, I don't care. Yeah, someday sounds good to me. <laughs> the, the, you know, as as with all things, when they're eventually when when they're when ready, we get to it. <laughs> <laughs> when the time is right, you know. Glenn, Glenn is champing at the bit for more lost episodes, and I look at it and go, the longer I wait, the more stuff they'll either find or animate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's true. Time is on we my side. We do need to get Power of the Daleks on the schedule in November now, though. Yes. Yes, we do. It, 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 it unfortunately will not be a Friday Night Who selection, because, yeah. well, that'll be a little hard. But We can split it in. After it airs, split it in two. Assuming everybody downloads it, nah, I guess we can do that. We're relying on people to buy the discs anyway. That we do so. <laughs> uh, okay, well, well, then I'll put it on the schedule. <laughs> uh, Peter Capaldi recently told a crowd of people watching him film that Doctor Who is going to be back at Christmas and then starts again in April, or or when in April? Easter, more specifically. Easter Saturday. Yeah. So the BBC Easter has Saturday. not confirmed that yet, but that would mean April fifteenth. 2017, Capaldi is correct in his assertion that Easter is when it's going to air. It could just be April. Who knows? I think he says both Easter and April. So well, Easter uh, does fall in April this year, doesn't it? Yeah, I believe so. So who knows? So both are accurate. So just mark on your schedule for Easter Saturday. Like I was not <laughs> going to do that. It's Easter Saturday no matter what day that's it is, exactly, That's exactly it. <laughs> and us here at Traveling the Vortex are gearing up for Time Eddie. But recently there was a bit of a sad announcement that there's not going to be a Time Eddie next year. Uh, they're putting it on a little vacation for 2017. 
They say in their Facebook posts, Frankly, we're exhausted after two and a half years of convention planning, so we need a bit of time to recharge our batteries and tend to our mundane, non-Hoovian responsibilities. Time Eddie will return, but it will be a little, well, a lot different in early 2018. It's early, early 2018. 2018. Keyword there. Yeah. Keywords there. So keep an eye. Um, and Keyword make sure and number. you make it to Time Eddie this year because next year there won't be one. Kind of like Doctor Who, it's taking a break. So we'll be in a um, wilderness year for, for Time Eddie. <laughs> Don't. Don't. It's a dark year. The dark year. And our last bit of news is Lethbridge Stewart related. In addition to, uh, hopefully you saw the cover for... Havoc Files 2, which looks gorgeous. Um, Candy Jar Books have announced a new story that's going to be re- that is released uh, in tribute to Eileen Young's young husband, who died September 2nd at the age of 95, called The Last Duty. And it's set shortly after the grandfather infestation and written by newcomer to the range, Christopher Bryant. So you can go download that from Candy Jar Books, and we will read it, or we will review it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> it's on our schedule. Yes. So Glenn, you have uh, you've ordered your. I have ordered your, the Havoc copy of Havoc. Yeah. That's it for news. That's a lot of news. That is a lot of news compared to what we've had recently. That's well, a, that's we had a two weeks to <laughs> <laughs> worth of news to gather. So maybe that's the key. <laughs> Should we move on to feedback? Hopefully, listeners aren't screaming. <laughs> no, not again. <laughs> not again. Hey, we gave you a little something in the off time. That's right. We nope, should. Uh, don't say we ever let him. We should thank wanting. Jonathan Cooper again, yes. and uh, the folks over at Candy Jar Books for uh, making him available for us and helping us uh, liaison that uh, interview. And it was a uh, quite an interesting interview. If you haven't listened to it yet, or it didn't show up on your feed for some reason, you can go back at Side Trip Twenty Two, an interview with Jonathan Cooper, and he lended he lent a lot of insights into that uh, writing process and the story. Should we move on to feedback? Let's. Mark writes, Gents, may I suggest you check out the new series of DCI Banks? Seems to be a haven for Doctor Who actors. Rose's dad and Danny are in the new series. Mark, I've never heard of DCI I Banks. I hadn't either, and I looked, <laughs> I looked it up online, and it, it looks kind of interesting. And there are quite a bit of actors that have come and gone off that show. Uh, I, I had hoped it was something that was on uh, Acorn because I subscribed to Acorn, which shows a lot of British films, particularly, I think, from either Sky or ITV. Uh, it's unfortunately not on there, so I'm going to have to go to another avenue to see if I can find it. Um, I'm assuming it's not on Netflix anymore. <coughs> I don't believe it's on Netflix. I think I did Can I Stream It and couldn't find it anywhere. Well, thanks for uh, sending us that, Mark. We'll have yeah. to look it up. Uh, and a shout-out to his podcast, The Obeep. Geocaching podcast <laughs> who recently uh, supported us on Patreon. Right. Yes. And thank, thank you, you very that. much for that. Maybe when we uh, get around to our Beyond the Companions, we'll just knock a whole bunch of them out and watch that show. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn can kill two birds with one stone and not have to complain about it. Uh, who's next? Up next is Chris. Chris writes uh, Still here and excited about TopCon next Saturday. Hey guys. Long time no talk. I've been meaning to send some feedback your direction all summer, but just haven't gotten it done, so sorry about that. I did, however, want to let you know that I am still out here and still listening faithfully each and every week. As always, I enjoy all of your podcast episodes immensely. I've been so impressed how you've managed to find so many fun and interesting ways to fill this positively dreadful year without (laughs) any new who. You've given me and all the rest of your listeners out 
much needed who fix. And for that, I say a heartfelt thank you. Your conversation with Jonathan Cooper this past week was especially enjoyable, by the way. He is a very interesting guest, and it was a well-conducted and entertaining interview. Awesome job. Well, thank you for all thank of you. that. I also wanted to say that I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys next week at TopCon. From everything I have heard so far, this year's event sounds like it's shaping up to be by far the best one yet. On a peripherally related note, I was wondering if anyone has yet to respond to your How Did You Come to Who Make a Video Challenge. I was on your YouTube channel yesterday and noticed there were no comments there yet, which is what finally prompted me to write. I, for one, am planning to submit my entry here as soon as I'm able, although I probably won't have a chance to do it this week. This brings me to the peripherally related part. Have you guys thought about possibly bringing a video camera with you next Saturday, setting it up somewhere so those of us who come and want to do so could sit down and record a quick little two or three minute video about our experience with who right there at TopCon? I think it would be kind of fun and a good way to get clips from people who might not otherwise submit one. I'd even be willing to help with that if you're looking for a volunteer. Just let me know what you think. Okay, I've got to cut this off for now and go get some other things done on this beautiful Saturday afternoon. Keep up the great work, guys, and I'll see you in a week. Still your number one fan in Eskridge, Kansas, Chris Grant. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Um, it's just down the road from us. Just it down is. the road. And uh, even more flabbergasted that he, he took time out of the beautiful Saturday that uh, we, we had this week yeah. to, uh, to, to bother writing to us. So it's, it's even more meaningful to me now. Um, Chris, as to your peripheral thing yet, uh, yes, we have had some videos come in, uh, which uh, I have not yet started editing together, but we'll hear shortly. And uh, we hadn't thought about having a, a video at TopCon uh, to do that, but uh, since you brought it up, I think it's a great idea, and we are totally going to do that. So uh, if uh, you're going to be coming to TopCon, you can certainly submit your How You Came To Who video uh, with us there. And uh, yeah, I could probably use a volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> I need all the help I can get, so definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, if you uh, are interested in submitting a video but not unable to make it to Top Gun, uh, you can head over to our YouTube channel, and uh, all the information uh, is on it there. Basically, for, uh, we are quietly coming up on our 300th anniversary and asking everybody to uh, just submit a little... Uh, doesn't have to be anything long. It can be anywhere from 30 seconds to 3 minutes, or, you know, I'm not even going to... Just, just, just tell me, how did you come to Doctor Who? What was your first episode? Who was your first Doctor? Give us a, a little insight into who you are and, and, and how this has impacted you. We think it's going to be a fun project. So if you have the opportunity, go and submit one. Our last bit of feedback isn't necessarily feedback, but we're going to read it from Ben's good re review of The Grandfather Infestation. Ben writes, effortless, intriguing, absolutely brilliant. This is what I thought of The Grandfather Infestation. Candy Jar Books has now knocked it out of the park twice in a row. For me, this story may be my favorite of them all. It's no secret that Four is my doctor, and one of my all-time favorite stories is The Seeds of Doom. This story evokes the feel, that feel in me. Absolutely amazing story. And that's Ben. Ben's review. Well, should we move on to our review of... The Grandfather Infestation? Yes, let's. The late 1960s and pirate radio is at its height. Something stirs in the depth of the North Sea, and for Radio Crossbones, that means bad news. Lethbridge Stewart and his newly assembled 5th Operational Corps are called to in to investigate after the pirate radio station is mysteriously taken off the air, and a nuclear submarine is lost with all hands. Dun, dun, dun! It's pretty good. I enjoyed this one. 
One I, of the things... Go ahead. I mostly agree with Ben. <laughs> <laughs> because of the Seeds of Doom? Um, because of that, because it's a well-written story, because it was a lot of fun to read, because it moved at a good pace, it had good characters, good characterizations of the characters we've come to know and love. Uh, everything about it worked for me. Uh, it was it was it was exceptionally well done. I don't know that I could say it's, you know, my favorite because, yeah, there's been there's been several good ones that I really really liked. But I, I'm in the same boat as you. I, I agree with everything you just said, um, but with with also the, the the same caveat that I don't know that it's my favorite, but it's certainly up there as, oh, yeah. as one of the top. I, I agree also, and I think it's almost in these two different categories now with the Lethbridge-Stewart lines for me. This is one of my favorites up there with Mutually Assured Domination because it's a similar type of story. Yeah. The, the, the bit more straightforward, the more what you expect from a unit story because this is all but unit without the title. I mean, because he's the brig, he's got the team, they're working in Simpicato, they are they're just fighting the enemy as it comes and it's when, when they announced this, I said this with mutually sure domination, I mean even more so now. When they first announced the series, this is the kind of story I expected to get, and so for that aspect, I absolutely love it. That does not diminish any of my other nope. enjoyments of the other stories. And if I want, it'd be what I was in the mood for, as opposed to for favorite or going back to. Yeah, you you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head. In fact, I think I said it. And we, I think you guys agreed that. Uh, mutually assured domination. I could see as a story of Doctor Who, like it could, yes. it could have easily been a classic Doctor Who story. This one feels the same way. It feels like classic Doctor Who to me, and I put both of those in that same category. So I, I got the kind of the same feel as well. It's it's a, it's a different type of storytelling, and it almost deserves its own category, but still fits within the narrative. And the, the showstoppers kind of fits in that kind of category too, to some extent. To an extent, I think so. Yeah. It's um, almost the bridge between the two kinds of yeah. Richard Stewart stories we've gotten. Um, yeah. The, the, the I mean, I would put, if, if you're talking that, I, I would put Showstoppers kind of as the, the other extreme. That we, 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 you, you can get the kind of serious, this could be a Doctor Who episode, and then you've got the farce almost. Well, there's, there's the farce, but then there's also the almost... More mind trip of Schizoid Earth or Beast of Hanging okay, Rock I see is, where you're going. is kind of where I'm making the comparison. Okay, I see where you're going with it. Yeah, that's the other agreed. category for me. Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, interesting read all the way through. Um, I like the the premise of the uh, alien plant species, even though it it's it sort of fits within a certain trope of storytelling and, and type of science fiction. It also kind of adds to it with the the telepathic uh, communication that it has with another species that it's brought along with the emir and having uh, the the fruits that it bears and us learning that that's how it started to be able to make communication and enslave the emir uh, in the same way that Al takes the fruit or eats the fruit and ends up through, going through the same process but to ill effect unfortunately and Mary's such a great character through oh, she all is. of this story and she's such a grounding force through when our main characters aren't there she helps really drive that story until Anne gets there and then I almost feel a little bad that she kind of takes a, a, a back seat because Anne's there and doing her science thing because I liked Mary so much that I wouldn't mind seeing her 
take more of a lead like she had been doing the entire time. Well, I think the interesting part of it is is that the 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 story is almost in two parts between the two characters because there's Anne's not there a lot in the beginning while it's right. Mary's story, and then when Anne shows up, Mary gets kind of sidelined and it becomes Anne's story, and so it's interesting that we have these two parallel uh, stories that kind of like one picks up where the other takes or where the other leaves off. And I really like that because I really like Anne Travers as a character. And I think John Peel does a very, very good job continuing that same strong female character that we've been getting uh, in the Anne stories. And doesn't doesn't miss a beat. It, it still feels like the same Anne Travers that's been developed through the entire series. And uh, really plows forward with developing and expanding on her on her character. Well, he and, does the same thing with all the characters, too. Yeah, I agree. Because Chorley is exactly who, who we come to know and expect with the growth that he's had and the issues he's struggled with. And I, lo- I lo- absolutely loved how they used him in the story. See, that's it. That, that's my only downfall with this book is, and, and I'm starting to see a trend here is I, and it's probably because I like Harold Chorley's character so much and where I feel like they're trying to go with Chorley's character Unfortunately, he continues to feel underused, and now he almost has uh, this element of a uh, comical lark just injected into a story to have some some light moments and some some comic relief. And I feel like they're not using Charlie to his full potential. Uh, I felt like he got a lot of ground in mutually assured domination. I thought he was going to get a lot more ground uh, than he did in. Uh, the showstoppers and unfortunately i feel like he feels he feels very underused well he still feels like the same character don't get me wrong i agree with your the characterization of Charlie is still very very in line with what has been developed before unfortunately i feel that my only complaint is that the series almost feels like they don't know what to do with howard Charlie is what it feels like now is it feels like they're not quite sure what to do with the character and it's almost like we're stringing the character along because we have plans, they have plans for him later on, and so they're trying to keep him to the forefront in in the reader's mind. But unfortunately, I feel like he just continues to get underused and used as kind of a a, a throwaway. I can agree with that. I as much as I enjoyed Chorley in this book, what he does have to do is is, is minimal. It's great when he's there, but I'd almost rather had him not be there. If we're if we're only going to get this little snippet, or only going to have him be used as the comedic relief, I'd rather just hold on to him for a book and not see him. Yeah, and and you know, kind of give him that break. Um, you know, he, he was there, he was on the island, he was the you know boots on the ground, so to speak. And I was really almost, I kind of don't wonder maybe if there are maybe chapters that were cut for time of Chorley overnight on the island experiencing <laughs> it did seem like we went through that really quickly the horrors of, of, of the grandfathers um, but then once he you know once he hooks back up oh and he's arrested for trespassing and he's in jail and would you like a, you know, a magazine or uh, or something and then that's kind of pretty much it he yeah. has his obligatory in bit and it's just like I can see where you're you know and Unfortunately, they have a character that has been used to full effect in the same way that Chorley is being used here with Evans. Evans has Evans is that type of character that you pepper in with for the comic relief, for the the you know lifting the brevity a little bit. And so, I think if you utilized Evans as that character, you're safe. It's okay to do that. Although now it seems like based on the end of this, it sounds like they're going another direction with with uh, Evans, but. Um, 
that's that's where I think Evan's character is the most strongest used is the fact that he is that type of character. So there's no need for Chorley right. to be that type of character. And so, uh, like I say, I, I think there's a plan, and I think I hopefully that Chorley has a lot more to do in 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 a forthcoming book, and we're only being you know kept to the forefront with him so that we remember who he is. <laughs> well, and from the sounds of things, too, listening to. Um John last week and uh, the conversations that we've had with Andy in regards to Chorley and how he just kind of has leapt off the page and become this force, if you will. I, I, I don't wonder maybe if there isn't a plan, but it's just he, he kind of continues to demand attention because, well, he's Harold Chorley, of course. Uh, and so maybe we're still stumbling around a little bit trying to find those niches to fit him in until the plan kind of reveals himself. Yeah. That could be it, too. But, well, uh, I get the feeling that too that that's what it is, but unfortunately, I, it makes me want more Chorley, and I don't. I feel like I'm I, I'm getting un, it's he's being underrepresented, underrepresented. Um, I, I I really like John Peel's style of writing, mm-hmm. and I, I I think I said this before when I kind of alluded to a mini review of he 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 actually launched the. Uh, New Adventures series. He, he, one of the he, Time Worn books, He right? wrote Time Worn Genesis, which was the very first uh, Doctor Who New Adventures novel when uh, Virgin was publishing and picked up the licenses for publishing. And I, I've always liked that uh, the, that story and that style of writing. And I think it, it comes through here. And when you, when you read John Peel writing, you really kind of feel that he, and he, obviously it's because he's written Doctor Who before, you really feel like he has a grasp of the universe. And oh, you, yeah. you feel really comfortable, and you really, and I think maybe that's another reason this really feels like it could be a classic Who story, because he really has a grip on the Doctor Who universe and keeps it within. I don't want to say he's 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 bound by certain boundaries, but he really seems to keep it within a a, a certain uh, feel or template or, or or bounds that that makes it sellable as as something in the Doctor Who universe. Yeah. Not that the other books haven't done that, but he does it. Very well. He does it effortlessly, I think, is, is probably uh, the more... The, the story is a, at, at its core, it really is kind of a hardcore science fiction story. Obviously, as you mentioned, with it, it's Day of the Trip. Of the Trip. <laughs> you know, it, it's got the tropes of that in it, but it doesn't matter because it's a hardcore science fiction book. But it is also a, a, a military action mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. story. And yet he manages to make both of those types of of, 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 of storytelling work within the confines of the, the Doctor Who world. And as you said, yeah, it, it totally feels like it could be an episode. Uh, the thing that I was Arguably most impressed better with, than sometimes the third Doctor did. Third yeah, Doctor's era did on television. That really. Um, one of the things I was most impressed with, with the way he handled Anne, is that, as you said, Glenn, it, it, it's still Anne Travers. It's still the, the Anne that we know, and we're still getting a continued further development of, of her character. But she's here. She's the scientific advisor. The Brig is making comments about how much he's come to rely on her and how he hopes everything's going on. She's leading the charge over here. She gets into trouble, but doesn't become damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. She's still actively, well, I rewired this so that this will blow up, and she's the one that comes up with the plan, and then she's the one enacting the plan. And, yeah, the Brig has to show up to save her because that's his function in the story. 
but it's not. It, but it, it doesn't really alter her. It doesn't her plan that exactly. much. It only it peripherally just, saves in fact, her. She because, planned for him to be there. Well, yeah, it only exactly. peripherally saves her because yeah, she had sort of planned that anyway. But she was also the only, the thing that really only changed. The only thing that changed is the fact that she didn't have. It didn't have to be an end mean. She didn't have to die in this scenario yeah. Yeah. because the second part of that plan ended up working out and she was able to escape. So. Uh, it, it makes it all that much better, and yeah, you you just you know you know you know going into it that Lethbridge Stewart isn't going to die, and you know going into it that Ann Travers isn't going to die, and you know going into it that you're going to you're going to have these key players likely survive. The interesting thing about that is even reading that and knowing that in the back of my mind, I still have I still have this you know a sense of of uh, anticipation and and and. Uh, on the edge of my seat the whole time I'm reading, like, well, what? How are they going to get us? What's going to happen next? And I like when you, you, if you bring a story with a character that's recurring, and you're able to put them in peril to the point where I think, oh no, they really are in peril. Then you've done a very good job. And this mm-hmm. story does that, yeah. and it manages to do it with everybody. I, yeah. The continuing of of the characters like Bill and and uh, and Samson, and, and even Evans that we we get that are sprinkled throughout this. These are people who continue to evolve. At no point in time did I feel like we had hit a reset button with any of them, which can happen from time to time Mm -hmm. when you bring in other other authors into the line that all of a sudden you've got somebody that's like, well, maybe this doesn't quite work with it. This feels like it picks right up from from showstoppers and is just, you know, okay, we've had some training. Let's go off and do this. <laughs> cool. You know, I mean, they're, they're all there, and they all fit wonderfully into the narrative uh, that's presented. I've seen the Brig juggle the beginning with the other military leaders and having to kind of assert his dominance, et cetera, and how, and how he handled all of that is so in line with the Brig we know from later, but it's just so nice to see him start doing that early on. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, I think the guiding hand of the editors over there, with between Sean and, and Alan or Alan uh, Andy specifically, I think are is what makes this series really do well and continue that narrative thread. Because each time you read a book, you can tell that it's a different author and they put their own stamp on it. But as you said, it really feels like it continues to pick up where it left off, and you don't have these drastic resets or changes. And I think that that a lot of credit goes to uh, Andy and, and Candy Jar for being able to say, you know, this is what we're looking for, but then letting the writers kind of loose with, okay, I'm going to tell the story the way I'm going to tell it, and I think that that's working for them really well. And they, I mean, obviously because they've got a solid series going yeah. on so far. So, um, what do you think of the uh, um, Ymir? Almost couldn't say it. Ymir. Ymir. What why, I think why of Mir? It's Emir. <laughs> well, because she names them after the she, North yeah. Norse giants, and the Norse giants are called Emir. And so, uh, thank you for pronouncing it. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, it, it is Emir. Uh, yeah, it was it was a cool concept. Uh, again, it it was one of those things like the plants felt like a, a trope that had been used before. You know, these giant rock creatures. I just seen Noah like a month ago, and anyway, these were giant rock creatures. And so that was kind of <laughs> my image in my head. Um, but uh, I like the the. The, the single-mindedness of how because the grandfathers are, are, are a communal uh, uh, group and they all are linked telepathically and by uh, that nature they also are ne- uh, linked to the emir. And so you don't know how much of the emir's 
maybe uh, own personalities are within there that so much of this is coming from the grandfather. But I like the straightforwardness of the thinking of the emir of it's, you know, well, clearly, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're serving. They're very logic based. Exactly. They're very logic based. And I liked that. And I thought it was an interesting take on how everything, nothing's taken for granted. Well, or everything is taken for granted, and I, I think like the fact that they just they look at things on a, on a logical basis of well, you know, aren't, aren't all grandfathers, you know, aren't your grandfathers <laughs> this way? I mean, that, that's it's just the way it is. Are. Yeah. And the idea that well, there's no waste, you know, well, any workers, any people that can't work and they're or they're you know they're incapacitated or dead get fed to the grandfathers and it's kind of this in fact and comments on the the symbiotic <laughs> society that they have and how efficient it is and it, it was an interesting take on that and all of that being communicated through Ymir was was interesting and it wasn't so much it was it was more of I was applying that to the Ymir until later on it's it's understood that it's basically the grandfathers that are, are, are doing that thinking especially when Al eats the fruit you kind of get the the impact of how much of a communal mind that this that that this is and it's shared with the Ymir and so it it suddenly becomes the Ymir's just an extension of the grandfathers mm-hmm. so at that point you're kind of like okay well I I can no longer invest any sort of uh, Curiosity into what the Ymir are like because they're clearly just slaves to the grandfathers. But I thought it was a great, it was an interesting concept, especially the ideas I'd mentioned earlier of the grandfathers taking over this. Obviously, the Ymir are from somewhere else, and the grandfathers just, you know, basically enveloped them into their their process it's, and their plan as they were going, as they were going, yeah. as they were going to eventually do with the humans in in, in a different way, but still. Uh, I really liked how to the, a minor, more minor cause because they obviously were going to wipe out the humans. But and I liked how the the Ymir served as the surrogate for the grandfathers to keep them as a threat, ominous threat in the background. And even then, once you go meet the grandfathers and then come back out, they remain the ominous threat in the background because the Ymir are there instead of making them then the heavy. It makes them more menacing, and you don't have a standing talking plant that could have wound up sounding very cheesy that's what makes it work because it it becomes the 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 brawn for the brains is what it does yeah and it It, keeps the brains isolated and even more of a threat because you don't know what they're truly up to when they're off being the brains while their bodies are doing other things i think it also works well from within the the confines of the the line that we we talked uh, after we did showstoppers about you know how great it was to have this completely over-the-top bonkers you know, nothing in the world can stop me now kind of villain. And and we've, we've had the aliens that weren't quite bad. We've had the aliens that were bad. We've had the... And now we've got these people, which they're bad guys, but they're not necessarily benevolent or malevolent about yeah, it. Right, you know, exactly. They're performing it's, it's a survival. function. It's survival. And this is how we're going to perform this function. And as it goes on, and as you said, that you know, the, the grandfathers are this kind of the nebulous threat that just kind of overhang everything that even when we get into there and, and meet them, that they're not the fact that they're still talking through Al and the Ymir instead of directly talking to Anne helps that aspect. And, and they're, 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 yeah, Mary, Mary. Yeah. yeah, they're not here to raise a ruckus. They're, they're not here to exterminate humanity. They're here to seed the planet. Yeah. Oh, they, humanity's they, going to die in the meantime. Oh, well, you know, sorry we got, about that. we got to have it set up for the Ymir to be able to survive on the planet and for us. So. Which is the one thing I thought was a little interesting about when, when they were having that internal or external dialogue about, well, maybe do we need the Ymir anymore if we can use the yeah. humans? Right. And I thought, well, 
I don't know if you guys are really thinking that out all that well, because one of the reasons that the Emir works so well is the heat transfer. Right. The fact that you guys like it warm and that they need it warm, that benefits both of you. And the humans, you'd have to change a whole different oh, yeah. you know, ball of wax in order to be able you'd to really have cohabitate to, and, and with that. At that point, they would have to change their plans drastically to accommodate the humans. Right. But I also like that it, it, it lends to the whole idea of the communal mind where everything is considered. Yeah, that's and true. that's I mean, what that—that's what that was there to kind of imply was everything is considered. Whether, yeah, everything was whether, on the table. Yeah, whether it, it became the plan or or constructed as a better idea or not, it was at least considered, and I liked that aspect of it as well. Um, the uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. Go on. <laughs> um, I liked the, uh, the 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 military maneuvering. Which I not everybody may be a fan of, but I, I I really appreciate that we've got phantom flights over here and we've got subs over here and ships over here and just that they're all coordinating and they're all more than willing to kind of let Lethbridge Stewart take the lead in yeah. this and be subservient to it because, well, you know, Chunky said so. <laughs> <laughs> that made me smile. Um, so that that I thought was a, a great point to it. I. Um, I talk about Evans for a minute. Evans annoys me. <laughs> I think he's supposed to. As he he's, should, he, yeah. he's supposed to. He, 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 uh, going back and looking at him in, in Web of Fear, he's kind of the comic relief of that. But he's so worthless that he begins to grate fairly early. That, that okay, it's, it's not really funny. You're just kind of annoying now. And in all of the, the, the Lethbridge Stewart books that he shows up in, it's like, oh, here's a here's an Evans moment. Here's an Evans moment. Okay, yeah. and he's just kind of there, and he, he's he's there. For, he's the pebble in the shoe. He is he totally I, I, I fulfilling like that, that now purpose. in this movie or this book. Samson kind of steps in as the audience, pointing all this stuff out too. I like that Samson doesn't pull any punches with him. I like that Samson's calling him out on it, going. He kind of sucked, dude. You know, and I'm like, yeah, get him, sick him. But also realizes that Evans is an outcast among the other soldiers, and so that's why Samson sits down with him yes. in the commissary. And I, I like that. That was yeah, cool. I, 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 my, my love for Samson kind of, you know, like it was already pretty high, but it's like even more, <laughs> now, so, even more so now. But so then Evans goes to the, the the island, and he's like, yeah, well, we don't want anything things, things to survive, do we? And I have to be honest. I didn't cue into the fact that he was up to something. Oh, oh, oh I didn't either. Peel, Peel constructs the character so well in this one because we get the little moment with Samson. Uh, how it's, it's, it's kind of, as you said, the, the audience, uh, it's explained that he's the outcast. And, and you kind of get, a, you, he draws a little sympathy for Evans. Even though he's annoying, even though you don't like him, even though he's whiny, he draws a little sympathy even for him. Even though he's useless. And then later... You get an Evans who's ready to step forward. He's finally going to be a soldier. He finally seems his worth. And so you kind of are cheering Evans a little bit. You're like, oh, you're finally stepping forward. You're finally doing something. You're going to rectify all of this negativity that I had for you before. And he casually sets that up. And Evans goes into battle, essentially, you know, doing his thing. <laughs> the safest and you're going, he could do, arguably, yeah, too. Yeah, that's but. true. But good, but good job, Evans. Good on <laughs> you, Evans. After struggling to move one canister from the dock to yeah. the boat. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only to turn around there then at the end and make him even slimier than he was before. And I that was that was. Well crafted, in my opinion. I think that was very well. It was Absolutely. exceedingly well crafted, and I was very angry. <laughs> <laughs> That's how well crafted it was yeah. that I got angry at, at Mr. Peel 
for making me have sympathy for <laughs> And uh, what's his name? Bryden? Yes. The, the, the money behind mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, this pod's going to come back to haunt us later. <laughs> the, Which I makes mean, me wonder if it doesn't wind up in uh, in somebody's green cathedral. Something that, that <laughs> something that lost me a little bit was we had this, and maybe it, it's 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 a foreshadowing of later. They set it up with this attack on the convoy as they're moving to Dolorite Base, but they, we never really get a resolution of that. The the oh, fi, the oh, fifth yeah, operational, the yeah, the fifth operational obviously gets the upper hand and is able to to stave off this See, attack, after, but we never find out who this attack was, and that that story is never carried forward. So, After the bit with Evans, I then wondered, oh, was that attack actually put orchestrated by, by Brighton? It could have been. Now and that he just say didn't that. succeed, and so now he's went to Evans to go a different route to get the, what he needs. Say that. It makes just, sense why Brighton's in the in the uh, uh, castle too, asking so many questions about where's all the alien tech? We, yeah, you know, we, yeah. why aren't we marketing this alien tech? Yeah. I didn't I think about totally that. I'll, I'll be honest. I completely <laughs> forgot about the prologue. Well, I had that bag hanging in the back uh, of my head. We never resolved this. I, I after I, I, I finished reading just the prologue, and my, it just it felt like it was an exercise. And despite the fact, I think he I think he lost two soldiers did, in the attack. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I just kind of because it went away, and I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, it's one of those great prologues too, where it jumps you, dumps you right into the action. It's it's so it's, it's the best way to start a story. Yeah, to some of that, to, right to, some, of it. very James to some extent, it's yeah, it's a, it's just a great introduction. But I bet it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Braden if it doesn't come back up later. So granted, on, he didn't succeed. On so. the tally of uh, of mentions, uh, Sean has one, <laughs> Keith has zero so far, and I have two now. Yep, Bartlett got a mention in this one too. Did you? Yes, He's did. at yes, Sterling he Castle. Yes, he did. Did he? <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> and he was to prepare B Company. I missed it. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. <laughs> I, I read that word and went, hey, that's me. I mean, uh, that's uh, Bartlett. <laughs> I, I finished the book and had to go back and do a, a find on page to make sure I didn't miss it. And, oh, I did. <laughs> Way back on page 77. Yep. Very cool. Two to one to zero. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just not, wait not till I come in. Not that we're keeping tally or anything. <laughs> but we are. Um, Poor Sally. Yeah, I feel kind of bad for Sally. I feel bad for it too, but I kind of like how they're constructing that story. That's the nice thing is knowing they, where we're going to wind exactly. up. <laughs> they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're, they, they continue to weave these nice little threads throughout everything, and I think it's it's set up very well by by expanding Evan's character by taking Sally down a road that. Yeah, I think we expect, but also it's it's changing the dynamic of the relationship between the two. Uh, Anne and Bill, I think, are 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 being. I think they're being. Well, there'll be a different opinion on this when we get to the short story. <laughs> but but they're they're obviously being directed in a certain direction as well. And and I think all of these little you know spindly pieces that are that are weaving their way th- their way through seem to have their own little narratives too that that are working really yeah. well. Well, and then there's also the Samson storyline of him kind of pining after Anne and admiring her, but recognizing still in this that see that didn't her, get to, for me that didn't go anywhere because we'd already established it was just that. more it was just more, more of it, it. yeah, yeah but it reinforced it, it I suppose. Yeah. Oh, and it maybe maybe also went to show how much more he cares for Anne than kind of 
it was the initial attraction at first, and now it, in this one it feels like there's a bit more, like because they're becoming friends, that there's a so bit more emotion there. I think it's less attraction, more admiration now. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's, what, I'm, yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah. grown from attraction to admiration. Because yeah. he so didn't even, that, yeah. there wasn't, he didn't even make a comment um, when she had to strip down to get into the wetsuit. Right. And he was a little preoccupied. Well, admittedly, he was a little preoccupied <laughs> with, you know, with the giant rock monsters yeah, and the killer you know. plants and all, but, you know. <laughs> it's a good story. It's, yeah, it's really it, good it's story. really solid, solid storytelling. Uh, the interesting thing uh, we also talk about the uh, style of writing in the Showstoppers. Jonathan Cooper's storytelling was very, very linear, one after another. Everything's one thing happened, another thing happened, another. Thing. It was very continual. In Peel's style of writing, there's a lot of things that happen. What what I like to call off camera. Behind the scenes, things that you don't see that's not on the page. But I kind of like that because it's not like he, we skip ahead so much and, and, and it feels like there's gaping holes. It's no, we like move past the boring we, we move past the <laughs> exhibition. Yeah. And I think that that's really well done. And Peel does a nice job of, of filling us in in the narrative of what's happened between point A and point B. And I also think that he does a really good job of going from scene to scene to scene seamless, seamlessly. And coming back, and, and, and you haven't forgotten what was going on here. You haven't forgotten what's going on here. So it's paced out really well mm-hmm. as well. So And done in a, a, a natural break point. You, you don't yeah. feel at any point in time that yeah. you, you were left dangling on it. Well, what well, happened to this? You know? Although I have to admit, I've, that cliffhanger with Mary where the Ymir talk for the first time and then it cuts away and we don't go back for two chapters... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> At that point, I was like, oh, thank God we're back to Mary. I've been dying to find <laughs> out what was going to happen there. Not that this other stuff that didn't happen in these two chapters weren't interesting, but come on. <laughs> I think my only real, it's not even a strong complaint, but my only complaint about this is the ending. Because, and I think we've all mentioned Bond at this point, that it feels like a Bond film in some ways, despite the, the, the hardcore sci-fi elements to it. But like a Bond film, we kind of build up to this climax, and then we rush into it. And it's just like, okay, here's everything's been building, 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 and now we're here, and we sprint forward, and there's gun battles and explosions and bad guys and laser beams and killer plants and submarines and deck guns and all kinds of cool stuff. And then we hit the climax, and then it felt like almost a very rushed job of cleanup afterward. In fact, even See, even I, the I hind end of the climax where we get a tiny little paragraph separating the rest of the action about the sub made it out before the explosion happened. And I, 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 it was almost like, what? I mean, it, it, it was just almost jarring that it went right up to that point and then mop up and we're done. And, I, I, I mean, sort of see that. Don't get me wrong. I, the Bond I, films do that. No, no. Yeah, I, they, I, I sort of see that. But I think I think maybe I was okay with, with it because they still had that uh, anxiety on the sub as to whether they were going to clear it, whether they were going to ride it, and whether they were going to be able to get out of the hole. And by firing the torpedoes and making the hole bigger, to me that was the everything's okay now. We're going right, to get out. Yeah. But there was still that, you know, the, the there we still did have that tension going on on the submarine leading up to the holes being blown through and then realizing we were going to Maybe it's just the, the, the problem that be, uh, because it, it feels so cinematic 
that my brain's wanting to put those cinematic moments yeah. in. Of, yeah, of it's hard to describe holding the, that moment. And then the sub goes through the hole, and everyone lives. Yeah, it's, it's, versus John Peel, who's going, "That's a boring bit. I don't need the exposition right. there. I'm just <laughs> right. going to cut to the chase yeah. and move on." Yeah. So that's no, see, it. Worked for me. I didn't. I didn't. Have yeah, a I mean, it, it still works. It's still great. I just, I, I, I felt like there was almost a beat missing at the end of the, at the end of the climax. That was like, yeah, you know, it, it just wasn't there. But it, you it wanted that. It you wanted that cut to. <laughs> uh, you wanted that wanted cut that. to uh, above the ocean, above the surface, and then the thing surfacing. And yeah, you realizing, and then the explosion going. goes yeah. off, yeah. and maybe a big red digital countdown clock. <laughs> I almost sort of felt like they were going to be propelled by the explosion. It. They were still going to be yeah. submerged yeah. when the explosion went off. And they, I didn't get that, but I didn't. Waves and also didn't miss and things it, so. coming out, and the sub still crashing through yeah. them and making. I don't. I'll fix it in post. Huh? <laughs> that's your movie making mind. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I think I, I think that's a, I think that's a tribute to the book and the writer that it's done so well that it's playing out in my head like a movie i, sure. I think that's a sure you, you, absolutely you know you can't ask for more than that and i i also really liked how the resolution of it with the explosion cleans up everything so nicely we've already destroyed all the pods aside from the one evan stole the ymir and the grandfathers are all destroyed in the underwater base and now it's just okay Official Secrets Act, and we're good, pretty much good to go. Yeah, I, I liked that there wasn't a lot of big cleanup and big because while reading this, while there was a lot of people impacted by what happened, I kept thinking, well, it can't be too big, otherwise, you know, it's one of those big issue stories of it's such a big invasion that everyone in the world should have known about it, but no one mentions it ever again. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that they were able to to skirt that line between that big of an invasion and the the smaller scale. Yeah. I also like the going back to the you know the, these are heavies but they're not the bad guy per se that when we blow them all up you don't necessarily feel like we have to have the discussion about was this morally or ethically right, right to, yeah, I yeah. Mean, ta- did we did we commit genocide and wipe out all, well no because there's a pod left but we don't well, know it but the nice thing about it too is is Anne is struggling with that as she's pointing the laser. And so you get that. You get kind of the, I think you're satisfied by the fact that she's thinking this through. And she's, she tells herself she, she can't think that she's putting the end of, of a life to a being. And by going through that whole process and putting it out of her head. And so to me, that kind of excuses it at that point. That that was the that was the uh, breakdown of deposition that we needed. Right. And yeah. it was that was satisfying enough that we didn't need to discuss it later and say, okay, did we do the right thing? Did we create? Did we cause genocide? And it was great to have a scientist have that thought process yeah, while yeah. doing it. Because obviously, you know, the brig and the military are not. They're just like, <laughs> hooray, we blew it up. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have any qualms with blowing the Silurians up at the end of the Green Death either. Yeah. So. Or not Silurians, the uh, or not not the end of Green Death, the end of uh, the one we just watched. The Silurians. The Silurians. Silurians. Thank you. <laughs> and the Silurians. Yes, which worked really well for pairing <laughs> this. It did, in, in my mind, with with Friday Night Who, because the Third Doctor just mucked everything up, wanting to talk to him. And it's like, no, we we just need to blow him up. <laughs> <laughs> Read the grandfather infestation. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of surprised, as warm as the plants like it, that the napalm didn't maybe <laughs> make them grow more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess what I kind of expected <laughs> that they would be even larger I, after the yeah. I was smoke kind of cleared. expecting that trope. Yeah. That, did anybody else pick up on the the DN DN nine DN six DN six DN six? Apparently not. 
that is the chemical that was developed by the guy in Planet of Giants. The poison oh, seed. Yeah. That's the poison. <laughs> I'll be darned. I read that and something in my I brain did. went... And I had to go look oh, it up. I didn't and get that at all. I, that's I, very I, cool. Yeah. What a nice, nice little interconnecting thing. So, I like that. That, that. that is the stuff. Well and they done. even give you just that little bit of backstory well done. about the oh, guy yeah. went and shot yeah. the inventor. And, yeah. That's it. Well oh, done. yeah. Wow. So very cool. There's, there's an added, added bonus. Nice little, <laughs> nice little uh, fan service. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Great story. Very happy. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's do the other one here. That the we plane read. dead. Second Lieutenant Bishop has survived a dangerous mission in Australia and is looking forward to going home. But he wakes up to find the streets of Darwin. The streets of Darwin are empty. He seems to be the last man on earth. Until from the shadows come a strange creatures. The dead are walking, and they want Bishop. But Bishop has more to worry about than himself. Where? Is Ann Travers. Not so great story, less happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to apologize in advance. Going into this, <laughs> I knew that there's no way these were zombies. And so the entire time I'm trying to figure out, well, what's going on? And then it just, oh, it's an alien mind trick. Now, I kind of hoped that it was somehow a training exercise that they just weren't aware of. And so Lethbridge Stewart and the fifth operational corps was just seeing how they would react to said situation. And I had suspected that when, when they woke up in the room and they had the bands on their head and the computer was in the corner, that's what I had suspected that it was all an operation and they forgot that they had been uh, a part of it, it, which I think I would have liked better than the scaly aliens showing up and actually trying to get, because the plot of the aliens don't quite make sense at that point. Well, why, why, why are you why, doing why, this to why, Bishop? Why transmit zombies? Yeah. Other than they just watched the Omega, the Omega Man yeah. not that long ago. And, and he did at least... I was grateful of the fact that that was brought up because it did give it some levity for why that was the scenario that was playing out in their head because they had most just recently watched the Omega Man. So, Although as... <laughs> Bishop points out, well, there are more vampires than that, and then even more so in the book, yeah. which he has read. Well, they're they're vampires in the book, but in the movie they are zombies, zombie, yeah. more zombie-like. Which, honestly, is the only thing that saved it from feeling like a complete... Somebody was super excited about Walking Dead and just wanted to do a Walking Dead story set in the Lethbridge Street universe, which doesn't work. Um, the fact that they went to Omega Man is like, uh, okay... It's time appropriate. It does fit that. I, I, I think the, the the challenge with this, is, with, with zombies in general, I don't think you can necessarily do zombies. They tried really hard to justify it with the comments about, well, isn't that any different than Staff Sergeant Arnold? But you've emptied a whole town, and, and so my brain's automatically railing against it from the get-go. It just It just didn't feel right. And, and and maybe the cover is the problem because they we've got zombies on the cover and it's called the playing dead so we're obviously playing on the, the these words so I, I kind of reading through the beginning part of the story not enjoying the atmosphericness of it and going come on hurry up and get to the zombies we're obviously playing dead it's not really dead so then the zombies show up and then I'm going okay let's hurry up and get to the what's actually going on part of it because I don't enjoy oh. that aspect of it and then when it did get to that it was just kind of like really that's it. Just none none of the pieces of this really fit together well well for me, and I didn't like 
the characterization of, of Bill and Ed. Now, this is supposed to be set six months six months down the road from the book we just come off of. So there's obviously been some changes in their relationship status in that time, which is fine. But maybe I need the in between books to yeah, make yeah. to make this work. Maybe we need the events in Australia. Maybe it's too much of a leap. Yeah, maybe that's the, the the problem that I have with it. But even even Lethbridge Stewart doesn't feel right at the end when they're giving the report and he's got him drinking a coffee and he kind of makes a joke. He's very about glib it. about it. Oh yeah, and then ignores it and walks. Out. It's like mm. he didn't feel quite in line with the character. Especially this is the Lethbridge Stewart that's come off of the events of uh, Forgotten Son. Yeah, and Schizoid Earth and having been held captive and pumped. Yeah. Although even in Schizoid Earth he. I think even to this day he thinks he it was a... No, yeah, he's still not. Because that was so far outside the realm of what he's had to deal with so far. We're talking interdimensional travel. Yeah. So, but but yes, I, I agree with what you're saying. It, Everything it, it, that he's experienced so far. He, he, he kind of makes a joke of it and, and and then writes it off immediately. As soon as he makes a joke about it, it's like, but dude, you've actually had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't seem. It's like. almost the, the, this brig almost toes the line between the brigadier from or the Lethbridge Stewart from the Lethbridge Stewart series and Lethbridge Stewart from the from the Doctor Universe, which we we have talked about how they don't quite gel because of the differences in in portrayal because there's so much more has has the 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 uh, you know, Lethbridge Stewart has experienced so much more within the realm of the series. That he was still so skeptical in, in in Doctor Who, and so it's almost like it's trying to skirt that line. Yeah. My my problem was, and I came to this, and I I started it, and saw where they were going with the zombies, and it really felt like Last Man on Earth or Omega Man, and then it, the zombies show up, and I even had the the the, the hint off with the playing playing dead, and I I didn't want to come to this podcast today and tear it up because i think part of my trepidation was the fact that i'm i'm exhausted with zombie i i i, I used to absolutely love zombie films i i'm a huge still a huge fan of night of the living dead the old romero stuff I, I think zombies are so played out now it's such it's so everybody's doing it's like the vampires were in the 90s we were mm. everybody was doing a vampire thing. Yeah. everybody was doing zombie. and I, I i think it's so played out now for me there's still people that love it it's, as long as it's a trend and people like it, then it it, it should be a, a thing. To me, it's so played out. And well, so, and the problem with it being so played out, it's hard to do an original zombie yeah. story at this point. So I wanted to step back and go, okay, well, th- I, that's the aspect I didn't like it. So when they wake up in the room, I got a little excited. I thought, okay, they were taking a different approach to this. It was all in their heads. And then the, the green scaly aliens show up. So then it felt like, okay, we went from one trope to another trope that, well, I, that I'm, I'm a little more accepting of green, green scaly aliens aliens because i'm not that's not as played out to me it still felt like we just shoved two b movie plots together to make one story and and put it on the strength of that and so i kind of thought that just doesn't it doesn't quite work for me another thing that that it, it, i didn't like was that it, it penned down dates it said this is the 70s. Now, that doesn't specifically say the 70s. But if you've just seen The Omega Man, we know it's at least 1971 because I believe that's when that film came out. So I, while I think Andy did a fantastic job with the short story that he did for Havoc Files that kind of laid out the, the, the unit dating issue, I think this goes back to pinpointing the unit dating issues that I <laughs> that we've always had. And so it's it's like it brings it up again. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, okay, 
I'm fine with that. I'll set that aside. I'm not going to let that bother me. The thing that irked me the most about this entire story is Bill wakes up at the beginning, nobody outside, dead silence, no radio, no phone, goes out in the hall, goes down to the uh, lobby, no one in the lobby, goes out in the street. I was okay to it till there. Until he spent two hours wandering around the town, <laughs> I kept screaming at the top of my lungs in my head, Bill, go find Anne. You were there with Anne. Yeah. You mentioned she's there. She's staying in another room at the hotel. Don't you made a point of telling me she's there. Go to her room before you go anywhere else. He spends two hours going around. He's already come to the point of insanity at the ca- cafe where he smashes the mirror. It's going to take me a lot longer than two hours to get to the point where I'm, I'm smashing mirrors with my hand and feeling like I'm completely isolated. Where's Anne? Go find <laughs> Anne. It's not till he goes back to the hotel and she is there and, you know, almost attacks him with a knife. You find out that she's had the same occurrence. Anne, why didn't you go find Bill? I mean, it's just oh, that just yeah. irked me so bad. I don't I, I I I wanted to be able to play it off that. Well, if this was all formulated in a head, maybe they didn't have as much control over it. I'm sorry. You love this woman. You're having a relationship with this woman. The first place you go is to find out if this woman's safe. Not to go find, not spend two hours trying to find one person. Yeah. Or any person, and I suppose. Somebody I don't say. know. I'm sorry. Even without the relationship aspect of it, I think that if, that would have been first and foremost in Bill's mind anyway. If he was there with somebody from the Well, fifth. I don't even mean romantic in a, a relationship. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean a relationship with her but that we've had for, you know, six yeah, novels. Yeah, just friendship. Seven novels. I wonder where Samson's at. I wonder where Seven. the brig is at. You, whoever you were Even with. to some extent, where's Evans? I where's mean, Evans? <laughs> whoever you were there with, well, you would have gone and checked on the, first. The thing is, yeah. it's it's not. It, it's just alluded to that they were waiting to leave Australia and that they were there on unit business. But you, they specifically said that he was there with oh, Anne. Yeah, yeah. You didn't say Evans. You didn't say Lethbridge Stewart. You didn't say you were specifically there with Anne. Go find Anne first. That's your top priority. Yeah. So that, of anything, if I shoved all the other stuff aside and said <laughs> I have biases against those so I can't be fair about those, this one I can be fair about because that's poor storytelling there. Go find Anne. 100% agree. Yep. I also did not appreciate the uh, Brig showing up as a zombie. As soon as that happened, I knew, well, this definitely isn't real. Exactly, because it, it completely shatters whatever plot development that might have come later. Whatever you were going to pull, nerve toxin, uh, you know, <laughs> what, yeah. what, whatever might have made me go, oh, okay, maybe I'll buy that. Zombie break? No. You, this is a simulation of some sort now. That I agree, and I, I, I completely wholeheartedly, but I will forgive it a little bit because they did leave that to be one of the last things before they wake up. Yeah. So at least they didn't dwell more in the, yeah. the zombie world before. Yeah, it wasn't like Brig was chasing them down the exactly, street. Exactly. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. You mentioned it, but just the Brig being so glib about it at the end, it was just... Just well, and then even the, even the resolution with the, the scaly aliens is, you know, okay, we grabbed a ray gun, blasted them all, blasted the ship, blasted the computer, escaped. Burned Yay. the building down. <laughs> <laughs> I get the impression that was they were trying to lay some seeds for this 
spe- specific invasion that's coming later, but I don't know. With the what was it? At, the, at this rate, I hope not because I, I wasn't I, impressed enough the, with the, the story that I want to see what happens. The scaly, with these aliens. A, the scaly alien creatures name I already alluded me or has, has already alluded me. I can't even remember what they were called. I thought for a minute um, was the, I, I, there was hope. They were strapped to the table, and an alien walked in, and it's like, okay, so you're being tested. Ooh, maybe we're gonna do the uh, what are the ones from Android Invasion? I can't remember what they're called. The, the, the lumpy. <laughs> I know the, what you're the, talking the, about. The, the crawl. Yeah. Crawl. Crawl. K A something something. Maybe it's that one. We've got a fake crawl. town. Crawl. The crawl. Was that what they were called? The crawl. I think it's crawl. Crawl. Because it's not crawl. No, no, it's not the, crawl like the yeah the thing. Crawl. Yeah, I think it's I crawl. Um, but we've got a fake town. You're being experimented on. You're strapped to a table. That could almost save this story. Yeah. And then it wasn't, and they were green, and they were scaly. And then I thought, well, maybe these are the tetra, whatever, the rainbow trouts from... <laughs> that <laughs> the would visitation. almost or save the, the story. Uh, yeah. Visitation. Yes, okay, yeah. And, and neither one happened to be there. And it was yeah, just... I... I, I, I I, been a I sure hate to tear apart anybody's story because everybody puts a piece of art together and they want people to like it. But just yeah, this was this was. These are, these are just two ideas that I see. belong rightfully, I think, in in, in separate universes. Yeah. I don't think yeah. you can marry these two ideas together. I, uh, I I feel really bad because I think we're always harder. Well, we're harder on this. We're not harder on the short stories. There well, there, there are, are fewer. Really there are well there, but there are there are so. With the novels, they're so they're, the 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 good outweighs the ones that we didn't care so much for. It seems like it's the opposite with the short stories for us. There seems to be more short stories that we didn't like uh, compared to the numbers that we do. Well, if anything, I think I think it showcases the difficulty in doing this. The, yeah, the, the, yeah. That writing a short story in and of itself is a challenge because you've got to have you still have to have that structure. You have a beginning, a middle, and yeah. an end, and you've got to tell that story. But now you're limiting yourself with a number yeah. of pages to tell it. You don't have the same resources to yeah. be able to cut away and go wonder what's happening over here and then come back. Maybe if we'd gotten Bill and Bill and Bill Ann and had a little bit of back and forth on what she was doing on her adventures, right, that would right. have really built that up, you know, tension-wise a little bit. That could have explained a lot. Yeah. You just don't have the options to do it because it's got to be boiled down to the bare essentials. So I get that. And, you know, the Doctor Who universe in and of itself can be a challenge and the Lethbridge oh, okay. series I think with you know the way that it's constructed this is not an easy write this is not something that you can just sit down hammer out a couple of pages and go ah, I'm done turn that in yeah. I mean maybe Stephen King could do it but <laughs> it wouldn't be a couple of pages it wouldn't be a couple well, pages <laughs> I mean, King, well King did do it he wrote a lot of short stories and he did some well and he did some not so well Bradbury did the same thing. Oh, yeah. It can be done. It just it, it, you're right. It is the constraints in which you're you're put yourself in. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I feel bad coming in and being, um, especially since we always try to look at the the, the positive yeah, side of things and, and look for something uh, that's there with it. I just couldn't find anything in this one. Uh, the good thing was it was a short story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what else do so we need to So one hit, about? one miss on this well, one. Well, uh, I guess let's look at the schedule see where we're at here. Well, coming up uh, this week on the schedule, we are going to be at TopCon, which is the uh, Topeka TopCon Geek Expo uh, here in uh, lovely Topeka, Kansas. So uh, if you are going to be in the area, 
please come on down. Uh, TopCon is a, a fun event, and it's uh, this is the third year for it. It's been growing every year downtown the Ramada. Uh, and come on down. There uh, are stick- still tickets available. Still tickets yep. available. Um, I think there's still rooms available too. I don't know if they, if there's a con rate on them, but I don't know either. I believe there is, and I believe there are. There are okay. Um, obviously, big guest Spencer Wilding, uh, who we will be uh, conducting a panel with on Saturday. What time? So one, one, I believe. Saturday at one, uh, which of course Spencer, uh, uh, man behind the mask of, um, he was the Minotaur in the God Complex. He was the Wood King in the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, and he was the Ice Warrior in Cold War. So he's got three Who episodes to his uh, to his credit. Um, and we will be sitting down and having a, a full panel with him, which we hope to bring to you uh, through our YouTube channel once we have uh, all the logistics uh, played out on that. So if you can't make it, you'll still be able to see all the good stuff. But uh, if you can, please come down and see that. Speaking of the God Complex, that is our Friday Night Who for this week. We wanted to watch something that uh, dear old Spencer was in and uh, thought that was appropriate. And obviously he's got other credits. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, The Walking Dead. And I mean, he's... He's done a lot of stuff. He's a name. Some big stuff coming up from what we hear. Uh, so there's that. And then um, I'm not going to go any further into it. It schedules on the website. So you can go there. Speaking of our YouTube channel, I want to plug something that uh, I was a part of and we're all going to be a part of eventually. Um, we're doing something a little different. Uh, I think it's a little harder to review video games in the podcast format. So we thought we'd take it a step further and kind of branch out. We're doing what's called Let's Play videos. And uh, if you don't know what a Let's Play video, basically uh, they're all the rage now on the Internet. Uh, YouTubers will sit down and they will play a, through a video game and they will record themselves doing it so that you can kind of watch some of the gameplay and get feedback from them as they do it. And I did one for Evacuation Earth, which was a DS game that was only released in uh, Europe. And uh, if you want to check that out, you can go to our YouTube channel, uh, www.youtube.com backslash Trowing the Vortex, and uh, check that out and uh, give it a like if you like it. And uh, you can write comments in there as well. Uh, we have a whole now series of uh, different uh, Doctor Who video games. Uh, what we kind of thought we would do is a little different from Let's Play as uh, a lot of the YouTubers do current video games that are going on. We thought it would be kind of cool to go back and do some of the back catalog of Doctor Who video games that are in existence as we are able to uh, get a hold of them and uh, share a little bit of, of gameplay with you and uh, let you look at it, see if it's something you like. And uh, we'll kind of do, we kind of do a review along as we, as we do them. So check those out on the YouTube channel. If you're not already supporting us on Patreon, we would love for you to do that. Um, all of those proceeds do go right back into this show 100% in order to keep us on the Internet and uh, keep our server going and lots of little nuggets and things that we can do for the show. Uh, if you are a Patreon su- subscriber, we thank you uh, immensely. Thank you. Yes. And, uh there are a lot of them, and we, we appreciate that. Uh, there are also some links on the right-hand side of our webpage, travelingthevortex.com, that you can purchase things through our website, and part of those proceeds also go back into this show as well. Uh, do we cover everything? Uh, don't forget, you can send us feedback to feedback at travelingthevortex.com on our tab on our website. Send us feedback. Just fill out the form there. You should get a confirmation email that you send in feedback. Or... Uh, yeah, those, those are the best ways to send us feedback. All right. If that's going to do it to, uh, for this week, until next week, tricky to hit myself. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you.
You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.